Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right. We are in our emotional wholeness series. I think this is part six by now. So I'm, you'll probably figure out what I'm getting into here, but I won't, I won't say exactly what emotion we want to tackle today. You're, you're going to figure it out pretty quickly. But have you ever heard people say that redheads have the worst tempers? <laughs> Hands up. Have you heard that? Oh, I, I just don't know. But you know what? I was thinking about that this week. So I did a little research to find out like, if this was actually true, if there was like scientific evidence to back this up. And I, and I found an article that said that redheads have a shorter fuse because they are more sensitive to pain. I also heard that being red-haired means that you have a genetic mutation, but I don't think I want to highlight that part. So <laughs> I, being a redhead, I was curious. I, I thought that I always had a, a relatively high pain tolerance, but now I'm rethinking everything since this one article said that we don't. So several studies actually show that if you are a ginger and you go to the doctor and you need anesthesia for something, you need 20% more than the regular blonde, brown hair, whatever person, right? So I don't know, maybe it's because redheads are more sensitive to pain that they're more easily upset. I mean, that's the logic I think they were trying to prove. I don't know if that's true, but all I'm saying is just agree with me so we can stay friends and I'm not, I don't get upset about it, right? So anyway, we're not going to talk about gingers today, but we are going to talk about anger. All of us get angry from one time to another, whether we're willing to admit it or not, right? We can even lose our temper. For some people, this happens very, very rarely. And for others, dealing with anger could be a daily struggle. You know, what better way to introduce anger this morning than to play a fun anger game? Anyone interested in playing a fun anger game? Okay, good. Well, if you're willing, stand up with me just for a moment. And don't worry, you won't have to stay standing for a long time. I'm not going to make you do that. So if you're willing to stand up, I want you to sit down if you became angry due to the outcome of a sporting event in the last month. <laughs> ah, yes. All you Vikings fans, I know your pain. Okay, sit down if... You got angry or upset or frustrated or even annoyed at the weather in the last month. Farmers, come on, be honest. Okay. Sit down if you got angry at something that you saw or heard on the news in the last month. Some of you don't watch the news. That's all right. Sit down if you got angry because of something that happened at work. Okay. We're, yeah, we're eliminating... And finally, I want you to sit down if you got angry at someone while you were driving. A little bit of road rage. We have some people without driver's licenses. <laughs> okay, so clearly all of us get angry except for Kendra, Lucy, Jocelyn, and Larry. You guys can sit down too. Oh, you're standing too, Isaiah? Very good, very good. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it could be anything, right? So... Some of the questions that we're, we asked today might seem a little bit silly, but if we're honest with ourselves, our emotions, when it comes to anger, there can be serious things or silly things that upset us. So some of the questions that we want to answer today 
about or ask today about anger are, is it a sin to be angry? Can anger have a purpose? Or in other words, can it be justified? And how are we meant to handle anger as Christians? We're going to dig into this topic today, and I believe, like always, Jesus will give us some great answers that will help us understand the purpose for anger and how to respond to it the right way. So let's just pray, and then we'll get into this message. Lord God, when it, when it comes to anger, we understand that that is a real emotion. And I believe that it's something you've actually given us, but you've given it to us for a specific purpose. I pray more than anything today, we would see the role that anger is meant to play in our lives and understand what it's not meant to do. Help us to have discernment and to differentiate between what is right and wrong when it comes to anger so that we can walk in your ways, we can follow in your footsteps, and we can honor you with the way that we live our lives. Holy Spirit, we're open to you. We ask for your correction, your encouragement, and even your conviction because you do not bury us with guilt, but you actually save us from it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, let's start today by just talking about the difference between anger and temper. Proverbs 29:22 says, "An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins." Proverbs 15 verse 18 says, "A hot-tempered person stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute." And Ecclesiastes 7:9, "Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. So the Bible has several things to say on the topic of anger or having a temper. I think we've all heard these two words before, but it's important to understand the subtle difference between anger and temper. Anger is the emotion that rises up within us. It's what we perceive or when we perceive an injustice, an annoyance, a threat or frustration, that feeling, what we call anger, that's what's happening in us. For example, and I'm sure many of you can identify with this, when I saw a news story this week about the Hamas terrorists who entered a kibbutz, uh, that's a small town near the Gaza border in southern Israel, and these terrorists found pregnant women and, and cut them open, and then went on to kill their entire families, I was furious. I was incredibly angry at that deep injustice. I saw this and then in my spirit, I knew it was morally wrong. It was evil and completely wicked. And I felt very angry that this kind of thing was going on in our world. But our temper is slightly different. Our temper is our disposition, how we typically behave, react, or express ourselves when we become angry. Some people, when angry, remain calm and composed. Good for those guys. They are able to be patient or resilient in the face of challenging emotions that anger stirs up within them. We could call people like that long-tempered, meaning that they can hold their temper at bay for a long time before it reveals itself in their behavior. For others, though, when they experience anger, it leads them quickly and impulsively to emotional outbursts, volatility, and fits of rage. Some people can be set off in an instant. They go from seemingly being at peace to being absolutely livid in just a moment. A person like this is something that we would call short-tempered. They easily lose their temper. So do you see the difference between anger and temper? Anger is the emotion that we feel, and temper is the different kind of response or action that we display as a result 
of our anger. So now that we know the difference, the, the big question is, is it a sin to be angry? The simple answer is no. The emotion of anger isn't necessarily a sin, but what our anger leads us to can certainly become sinful very quickly. So here's a story about anger taking place for two different reasons in the same passage in the Bible. This is from Mark 3, verse 1 to 6. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy life? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So two people are angry in this story. Jesus and Jesus' enemies, the religious group called the Pharisees. So why is Jesus angry? That's our first question. Jesus becomes angry because he desired to do something good for the man with the deformed hand. Jesus wanted to heal him. He knew the Pharisees were just looking for a way to justify their hatred towards him. That's why when they they watched him so closely to see if they could find a way to accuse him of breaking the law. When Jesus asked them if the Sabbath day is a day for doing good or doing evil, and they refused to answer the question, Jesus was angry at their hard hearts. The way that they turned their hearts against God, against good. When it says that these Pharisees had hard hearts, it meant that they were unwilling to love. They were unwilling to have compassion on the man with the deformed hand. They didn't care about him. They didn't care about his healing and restoration. And they didn't care about God's goodness taking place in that man's life. That's what made Jesus angry. So Jesus goes on to heal the man's hand. As we see in the story, it was totally restored by the miraculous power of God right there in the synagogue for everyone to see. And what's the reaction to the, of the Pharisees? It seems that they are angry with Jesus for doing this wonderful thing on the Sabbath day. They considered this work, and it was against the law to work on the Sabbath day. So they start to think of ways to kill Jesus. Now, you would never think of killing someone unless you were angry with them, right? So Jesus' anger directed towards the Pharisees was not at all sinful. In other words, it wasn't wrong that Jesus felt anger in this instance. Jesus saw the sinful hearts of the Pharisees that they maintained, and that's what angered him, right? Injustice or unrighteousness. However, the anger of the Pharisees is completely sinful. Their hearts were not for God. They weren't in favor of showing God's love or seeing his healing power given to the man with the deformed hand. In fact, they are standing in complete opposition to God and obviously to God's son, Jesus, as well. Their anger is based on sinfully thinking that Jesus is bad news and that thinking is what leads them into deeper sinful actions. So from this story, we see that anger isn't automatically Sin. We can't just jump to a conclusion for us to say to ourselves or to someone else, hey, you shouldn't be angry. Actually, that's just an emotion. That's just a natural response. 
But we should be saying, you shouldn't do this in your anger, right? Or we should speak to ourselves, hey, 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 it's okay to be angry, but don't get carried away, right? The first reason, or first, the reason why we're angry matters. Is it righteous? Is it, is it evil? Are those the reasons why we're getting angry? Does it put us in alignment with God or put us in opposition to God? Those are the tests that we should be taking. And second, the actions that our anger lead us to matter deeply. In Jesus' case, his actions in response to anger resulted in love and help for someone. In the case of the Pharisees, their actions in response to anger resulted in plotting how to murder Jesus. The, the difference in the reason for anger could not be more obvious. Next point that we want to make here is that anger has a godly purpose. In other words, anger can be justified. Remember the time that Jesus enters the temple in Jerusalem? He sees that it was turned into a marketplace and he starts to kick some butt. Do you remember that story? Here's, here's that story from John 2, verse 13 to 17. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. So this was nearly the beginning of, or this was at the, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. A few years later, when Jesus entered Jerusalem the week before his crucifixion, he actually did the same thing again in a similar manner. That's from Mark 11, verse 15 to 17. And in that time, or later on when he does this again, one of those verses says, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So a lot of people have read this story. And they concluded that Jesus was opposed to the vendors selling acceptable animals to people so that they could be sacrificed as part of the Passover festival. But that wasn't actually the problem that Jesus saw in this scenario. Because the law required an animal without blemish to be given as a sacrifice. So some people didn't have those things for themselves, so they would have to purchase one. And exchanging money wasn't the issue either. Each region had its own currency, and exchanging money was a normal and common practice in those times. The real problem, the root of the issue here that caused Jesus' anger was the vendors and money changers conducting their business transactions in the temple area. So Jesus is angry that people were coming to the temple to worship God. And instead of finding a place to worship, the people experienced noise, distraction, and space taken away from them because of these businesses that were operating within God's temple. These vendors were capitalizing on the need these Passover worshipers had for suitable animal sacrifices and the need for correct currency. And they were doing it right there in God's house. The sacrifices people came to make were an act of worship and the marketplace atmosphere was anything but worshipful. So what if we showed up to church one Sunday morning and let's say all the chairs on the north side of the sanctuary here were stacked up and pushed to the side so that someone could have a yard sale set up in here. They were selling their old Bearcat swag, 
Probably a George Foreman grill, let's be honest. Maybe a, a stained set of Tupperware that they left spaghetti sauce in too long. And probably their old college textbooks that said, oh yeah, I'll use these again. What if their motive was to raise money to give to the offering at church that day? That's a good reason, right? But still, as great as that desire is, the place that we're in here is designated for worship. It's a sanctuary, a safe place for us to be where we can focus on God. And we shouldn't have to deal with distractions, right? The yard sale would totally distract us from the purpose that we have in this place. So here's another thought to consider. The motive of these businessmen who were selling animals and exchanging coins was to make money. That's what business people do, right? The best place to make money is a place where it is convenient for customers to access your goods and services. So their motive for being in the temple wasn't to aid people's worship. It was also to turn a tidy profit, right? It was greed. What if a tradesperson, let's say a roofer, showed up here at CFC one Sunday. We'd never seen this person before. Maybe they're from out of town. Probably rugby, if we're honest, right? He came here early, even before I got here, and he stood at the entrance of the sanctuary so he could hand out his business cards. He stayed for the service and then afterwards asked people if they'd thought about their roofing needs. That roofer would be using God's church, a place reserved for worshiping God, for his own advantage. Would it be okay for us to be angry that this was taking place, a yard sale or a roofer networking in our church? Absolutely. And we should be upset. And this is what made Jesus angry when he entered the temple that day. He saw his father's house, a place where people were coming to worship God, to pray to him, to meet with him, to draw close to him, being used for an exactly contrary purpose. Jesus' anger led him to make the situation right by chasing all those vendors and money changers out of the temple. You know what I think we need to learn from this story? When we're angry about injustice, sin, or wickedness creeping into our church, our community, and our own personal lives, that could actually be a strong indication that we have the heart and the interests of God in mind like Jesus did in the temple that day. If there's nothing in this world that ruffles your spiritual feathers or makes you feel morally uneasy, perhaps we've lost sight of what God desires to see happen in all those places. Have you ever thought about that? When, when, we, when we feel anger at sinfulness, it actually confirms that we're on the side of God and we care more about His glory than we do about our reputation when we move into action and try to make it right. Think about this. Do you think that people knew about Jesus after he cleared the temple that day? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure he was the talk of the town. I can't imagine that there was a Passover meal in Jerusalem that didn't have at least a couple of side conversations thinking, oh man, did you see what that Jesus guy did? I've never seen that before. Who is this guy? What's going on, right? But obviously Jesus wasn't concerned about what people thought about him. His reputation wasn't what his, his main objective was to, to, pr- to preserve. He cared more about the worship of his father being unimpeded. And he was angry that it, uh, someone had allowed it to, to be taken away from others who came there for that one purpose. Jesus' anger was completely justified. And in fact, it served a godly purpose on that day. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not at all comparing myself to Jesus, but sometimes I like to tell stories just so we have kind of a modern-day explanation because if you came over here and you knocked over my pulpit because you heard something that you didn't agree with, I'd say, hang on, I think we can deal with this in a better way. But some of you know that six years ago by now, when we came here to uh, candidate to be the pastor at, at Christian Fellowship Church, there was actually another church in South Dakota that had invited us to do the same thing. So they contacted us first. So after we were here at CFC, a few weeks later, we went and spent uh, a few days with a church in South Dakota to just kind of learn about what they were up to and stuff as well. It was interesting, though, about a week before we went down to candidate at this church in South Dakota, it was part of a denomination. I won't say which one. And the denominational minister for that area, he contacted me and we started talking about just some theological positions. He was trying to feel me out and all that kind of stuff too. And we started talking about baptism. And he told me about their denomination stance on baptism. And he said, if, the, if a person wants to be a member of that church, they have to be baptized by immersion. You can't be an adult and be sprinkled on or poured on. In their minds, that didn't count. And I said, wow, that's, that's a little peculiar because I always thought that baptism was a matter of the heart, not the amount of water being used. And he said, oh, no, no, Jeff, that's not the way it is. And I said, well, what would you do if someone who was full of the Holy Spirit, loved the Lord, wise, mature in their faith, eager to serve, had fruitfulness as a track record. What if they came to your church and they wanted to be a member of your church? What would you say if they'd only been sprinkled on or poured on? He would say, well, if you want to be on the team, you have to wear the t-shirt. And I said, well, that's, a real, that's kind of disgusting, actually, because what you've done is you've taken something that belongs to God, and now you're using it for your own leverage in bringing people into your church. And I said, what would you tell that person? He said, well... If you're not willing to be baptized, there's another church down the street, and we'd encourage you to check it out. That was, it was the most revolting thing I've ever heard in my life from a denominational leader. And I thought to myself, okay, so we're, we're scheduled to go there. And in my mind, we already had grounds to just cancel everything and not go to South Dakota. But we just prayed God. We're going to bring this up with this local church because this was the denomination head speaking. Maybe the local church has a bit of a different stance. We brought it up with them. Uh, there was, I think, five or six people on their board and it was split 50-50. They didn't know what they thought. <laughs> but nonetheless, the Lord confirmed many ways that that was not the place that we should be and we were very glad to be here. But the story is this. like, When someone is doing something unjust, it's okay to be angry. And that church... I was angry at the way that they were turning people away simply because they didn't believe in the baptism the same way that they did. I think what we're learning today is that Jesus wants us to be angry for the right reasons. I, that might be surprising to hear, but I believe that that's true. There's another story here. Mark 10, verse 13 to 14 says this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to him, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. See, Jesus was angry with his disciples, his own disciples, for preventing children from coming to have a personal experience with Jesus. What would we do? If we saw someone preventing others from encountering God, 
Would we jump into action like we should? Or would we be too nervous about what someone may think and shrink away from our obligation to, in righteous anger, act on God's behalf? In Matthew 23, verse 2 to 4, Jesus says, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. And in another similar passage, Matthew seven fifteen, Jesus also says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. So now, no doubt, Jesus would have been angry at hypocritical and harmful religious leaders of his day. He saw that they were up to no good, causing the people of Israel to be confused and led away from godliness instead of brought closer to Jesus. So Jesus warns people about the lies that they were either living or speaking. Would this have, would this have been insulting to the leaders of the day? Anyone? Would this have, if Jesus was to warn people, listen to what they say, but don't follow what they do because they do not practice what they teach, would that have been insulting to the Pharisees and religious leaders? Wow. It takes a lot of courage to say something that you know is going to upset someone. But is Jesus wrong in saying that? No, he's not. He's, he is so right that he actually saves so many people from, from following a path that's going to lead to death. Jesus just exposed these people for who they really are. My encouragement to us is this. We are going to be able to recognize what is false in this world that we live in today if we know what the Bible says. We're going to be able to see who is false or manipulative or leading people astray if we are familiar with what God says to us in the Bible. Plus, when we know what God says, we are going to be appropriately upset and angry when someone says the opposite of what the truth of God is. Here's some lies that I've heard from pastors and church leaders over the years that have made me angry because it doesn't say It doesn't say those things in the Bible, and it actually says something quite different than what these pastors and church leaders says. These are all things that I've heard. No word of a lie. You don't need to accept Jesus. Jesus accepts everyone. There is only one gift of the Spirit that confirms you've been filled with God's Spirit. That's not true. Baptism allows you to go to heaven. That's a big one in this community, and it's not true. Going to church saves you from your sins. I heard a pastor say that, and that's not true. God accepts everyone's lifestyle choices as long as they're based on love. Nope, he does not. We're not meant to point out other people's sins. Yes, we are. The Bible says you actually do someone a great favor if you show them their sin and restore them, and you save them a lot of trouble. God doesn't speak to, anymore, speak to people anymore, and he doesn't heal anymore. I've heard pastors say that. That's not true. He speaks to me all the time, and I've seen people get healed. I prayed for someone two weeks ago, and they told me, and we weren't even asking for healing, and they were healed of one of the things that they were struggling with. Another, another lie is you can't be saved unless you're a part of a certain specific church denomination. Oh, if that's, that's a convenient truth if you're a part of that denomination, right? I don't hear anyone outside of your denomination saying that. So weird. So do any of these statements upset you? Because they really upset me, like a lot. 
They should because they're all lies that lead people away from who Jesus truly is. So our anger serves us well to stand up against lies and hold fast to the truth of what the Bible actually says. When we know God's or we know Jesus's word, anger rises up in, inside of us to tell someone that they're speaking against him. So what do you think? Does Jesus show us the positivity and even the necessity of being angry for the right reasons? I think so too. Now, we're, we're getting close to the end here, and some of you may be saying, oh, Jeff, you know, this is, this is all good and everything, but I, I really struggle with anger. I struggle to, by being angry about things that are far less honorable than anything that we've talked about today. Am I on the right spot? Okay, let's just keep going. There, see? So some of us might be thinking, man, I struggle with anger, and it's just not for good reasons. I know that the things that make me upset, they shouldn't, but they do. So perhaps that's where you're at today. I just want to let you know I can relate to you. I've been there for many, many years. I was stuck in a place where I struggled with anger. For years as a late teen and a young adult, I would have considered myself uh, to be someone who was angered far too easily for reasons that were unworthy of my anger. I was upset by things for selfish reasons, not righteous reasons like we've seen in Jesus' life today. At one point, I began to recognize my anger issue, so I bought a Christian book that was supposed to help me deal with my anger, and I started reading it. But about halfway through, the book just ticked me off so much, I threw it away. (laughs) One thing, however, that I do remember reading in that book was this. You can't control other people. It's a simple thought. It's a no-brainer. I mean, anyone who, who looks at life understands that, but I needed to hear that, and it stuck with me. So I don't know what it is that causes you to lose your temper, but for me, it was often, if not always, related to other people. They said or did something that angered me, or they didn't say or didn't do something that I thought they should do, and that angered me as well. When I began to think about it and realized that I couldn't control them, it actually helped me to give, uh, to, to receive a little bit of perspective. I realized that by becoming angry, I was allowing myself to be controlled. In Ephesians 4 verse 26, it says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Huh, there it is. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So I was sinning because my anger was controlling me. My emotions got the best of me and I acted out of anger instead of trying to resist those urges. It led me to sinning against other people It led me to sinning against God, and it really created uh, a barrier between me and my Savior that I don't want to be there. Psalm 37 verse 8 says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Man, I can relate to that. It only leads to evil. Only, only, only. Like my, my selfish anger... If I look back in my life, it has never, ever, ever done me a favor. It has always put me in opposition to God. It has always caused angst in my life, hurt relationships. I'm sure if, if anger is something that you would admit that you struggle with from time to time, then you can identify with these things as well. James 1 verse 19 to 20 is really helpful for us who don't want to be held captive by anger or fall into evil. 
It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So these steps are so practical for us. Being quick to listen and slow to speak prevents us from being triggered too easily. If someone says or does something that we don't like, this verse is telling us, hang on, don't react instantly. Just relax, just wait, listen. Don't speak right away. Your thoughts need to be processed, okay? Take a moment. And as we learn to pause in that moment instead of just reacting, that's when we keep unwarranted anger at bay. Over the years, this verse has served as a great reminder for me. When something is causing anger to stir up in me, I I thankfully have become better, not perfect, but better at not reacting to it instantly. Instead, Jesus has helped me to bring my emotions to him. I've learned to ask him questions in prayer and look into his word just to make sure that if I am upset and I think it's righteous, that it actually is. Because I can convince myself of a lot of things where I I would say that I'm right, and I'm sure you can do that too. But you know what? When God's voice sounds a lot like yours, you probably need to go back to the drawing board and make sure you're not just listening to your emotions. I needed to learn that lesson myself. I had to ask myself, if I do these things, am I responding to myself or am I responding to God? I want to allow God's goodness to help me form a righteous reaction, not a fleshly one. Did you see how in verse 20 it says human anger does not produce righteous or the righteousness God desires? I read that this week and it made me wonder, is there a different kind of anger? We see human anger, right? Anger based on human thoughts and ideas. It's not necessarily good according to this verse, but perhaps we could call acceptable anger, spiritual anger, because it's not human, it's of God, right? It's the opposite of human anger. Is spiritual anger or anger based on awareness that's given to us by the Holy Spirit in us, is that kind of anger acceptable to God? I think of what we've seen in Jesus's life today through the stories and the passages that we've looked at. He was full of the Holy Spirit and was angered by the witness around him that opposed the Holy Spirit. So I think that's our evidence that yeah, there's human anger and there's also this Holy Spirit-given anger that stands against unrighteousness. One more verse I think gives us something really good to think about when it comes to dealing with human anger is from Ephesians 6.12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This verse is such a good reminder for us who struggle with getting angry, especially if we struggle with getting angry at people. This verse is teaching us that our conflict is not with people. It's not with flesh and blood. So they shouldn't be the outlet that our anger is directed towards, but rather our fight And our anger is with the wickedness and evil that exists in the spiritual world. The spiritual world is there in good and evil. Satan is real. His demons are real. They're running around trying to cause destruction, death, right? They're lying. They're trying to, you know, wrench us away from Jesus. So obviously, they're the enemy. And the people who they're affecting are just evidence that we have an enemy. But the people themselves are not the enemy. 
So I don't think this is a reason that we should never offer correction to a person or stop letting them know that what they're doing is wrong. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think the understanding we get from this verse prevents our anger at injustice from turning into hatred towards the person who acted unjustly. Satan wants nothing more than for our anger to move us to hate other people who need to be saved instead of loving them, praying for them, being patient with them, and sharing Christ with them. Understand, like, the negative portions of the spiritual world are trying to use us to cause harm on their behalf. And our anger, if not put in check, will accomplish all those negative things. So I was praying this this week about this message And as I was praying, I saw a picture in my mind. God does this for me from time to time because I I don't always understand things that are complicated, so he makes them very simple for me. And I saw a picture of like a scale or a spectrum. At one end of the scale was righteous spiritual anger. That's the Jesus anger that we saw demonstrated today. In the middle of the scale was a section that you could call indifference or apathy, where it's just kind of like, meh, I don't care, right? And the other end of the scale was human anger, self-destructive anger. And I think that when I was looking at this picture in my mind, and now you can see it on the screen here, I think all of us, we probably fit in somewhere in these three categories on this spectrum. I think it's important for us to figure out where we are. Because obviously human anger is not where we want to be. We've, we've seen the perils of that just in the last few minutes. Indifference isn't good either. We think, well, hey, I'm neutral. I'm, I'm just going to play it cool and not side with anyone. Actually, that's really bad because Jesus is asking you to side with him. Choose him, right? Well, you still can. So indifference isn't the answer either. The only acceptable spot to be is a place where, where if we're, we're going to manifest anger in our lives, it has to be Spiritual anger, righteous anger, anger that's in agreement and alignment with God, anger at wickedness, not anger that leads us to wickedness. So I just want to invite you to take a moment here to close your eyes. And we want to pray. We just want to ask God one simple question because it's good for us to understand his perspective. And the question is this, Jesus, where do you see me on this scale? Just take 20 seconds and ask that question and think. Worship team, you can come on up. Lord God, we need to hear from you because sometimes we may easily justify how we feel or how we act. And that's a dangerous place to be because we don't want to justify ourselves to you, but we want to be justified by you. Lord, as we look at this scale and and you've pointed out where we stand, uh, whether we're in a place where we don't want to be indifference or, or selfish human anger, or even if we're in a place where we could say, yeah, I, I think I'm getting angry for the right reasons. Jesus, we just want to be moved all the way over to that left-hand side of this scale. We want to be fully in this place that if we're going to be angry, that it would be because we see an injustice, we see a wickedness, and just like it grieves your heart, we want to be grieved in those moments too. 
so that we'll be moved to pray, so that we'll be moved to intercede for someone or something, so that we'll spring into action and we'll, we'll help someone who's needing to be defended. We'll stand up for what is right when maybe the standard is beginning to slip in our lives, in our community, or, or in our church. Lord Jesus, no matter where we are on this scale, please move us closer to you. I pray that our hearts would be fully aligned with you and that you would restore us to this place where we are walking in agreement with you. Help our hearts never to be hard like the Pharisees were in the story that we read earlier. And I pray that we would be open to you, understanding things from your perspective, that we may live in your ways and for your glory at all times. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of anger. Help us to use it appropriately. Amen.